When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Press This, the WordPress community podcast featuring exclusive content and interviews with leaders in the WordPress community, covering everything from development to integrating your digital marketing strategy with WordPress. Join host David Vogelpohl of WP Engine and special guests from across the community as they keep you up to speed on the latest advancements in WordPress. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Press This WordPress Community Podcast on Webmaster Radio. This is your host, David Vogelpohl, and I support the WordPress community through my role at WP Engine, and I love to bring the best of the community to you here every week on Press This. As a reminder, you can subscribe on iTunes, iHeartRadio, or Spotify, and of course, as always, you can download the latest episodes at webmasterradio.fm. Today, we're going to be talking about how to create traffic from traffic. Basically, with the sites we create, how can we optimize for content discovery so that way we can derive more value from the visitors we already have? And joining us to talk about that is a gentleman from a company called Biblio, Mr. Mads Holman. Mads, welcome to the show. Thank you, David. Uh, thank you so much for joining me today. This is such an interesting topic for me as an individual, um, just to understand the sites that you know I optimize and work on, and even our customers and the sites they optimize and work on. How can we be creating experiences that derive more value from the visitors that we get already? And I think a lot of people overlook this in creating experiences. So it's kind of neat for me to explore this on today's episode. So thanks for, again for joining, Matt. Of course. Um, yeah, I think as you say, it's it's one of those topics that I think can easily be be overlooked. Um, we, we people tend to sometimes sort of focus on redesigns or, or you know how do I make better content to get more engagement out of out of people. But actually, we find that um, that often there's very low hanging fruit in terms of optimizing the visitors who who already come to the site. So yeah, very excited to talk more about that. To be honest. Yeah, very low-hanging fruit. The cheapest visitors to monetize are the ones you already have. So uh, really, really good strategy. Um, and I think really uh, a thoughtful topic for those creating sites uh, and those deploying content strategies on those sites. So um, Mads, I'm kind of curious. I don't know the answer to this. What is your WordPress origin story? What was the first time you used WordPress and why? Uh, that's actually a really so so you can say at, at Biblio essentially we um, the sort of very short long origin story of Biblio is we we actually decided to build our own platform to kind of aggregate and display content that we thought could make people smarter as we vaguely defined it at the time um, 
we, we built a really simple platform for that and, um, and basically realized two things that A, we weren't very good at sort of building platforms ourselves, but also that uh, we kind of saw the same thing that I think most publishers see now and most site builders see now is that a uh, far majority of their traffic essentially sort of lands from Google or, or social media, et cetera, straight into to the site, right? They sort of bypass the front page and land straight onto a piece of content. So actually, very quickly, our work started focusing on sort of how can we turn that one page view into to multiple page views and sort of try to make this, we sort of back then named them drive-by visitors. You know, how do we turn these sort of drive-by visitors into regu regulars? Um, and then what essentially happened over the first sort of six months is we... Um, we actually decided in the end to let go of our own website because we simply didn't have enough resource to focus on both. And we decided to build an API for content recommendation and personalization. So essentially, when the user lands on the page, what content do we show them to try to sort of engage them in that experience and, and not have them bouncing or leaving the site immediately? Um, and then um, this is sort of where the WordPress origin story come into it. Essentially, the, we, we sort of built and launched this, and we were really proud of it. And the first 20 people we asked, uh, they all sort of went, do you have a, a WordPress plugin? Because, you know, we all run on WordPress. Uh, and so you could say we, we very quickly got faced with the reality that WordPress is, is a huge and, and important and significant part of, of the internet. Um, and I guess we also felt a real sense of com sort of commitment and bond with that community. Um, so we decided, essentially decided to take on um, the idea of, of also putting Biblio out to, to people through a WordPress plugin. And That's, started going to, to sort of um, WordCamp for publishers and WordCamps, et cetera. That's great. And, um, you know, it's so funny to hear that story because, you know, as I talk to people about their choice on whether they want to adopt WordPress or not, the question often comes up, like, what tech is integrated with it? And uh, my response is typically pretty much all of it. Um, and the driving force is exactly as you just described it. Uh, it is the number one CMS. And so if you build a piece of tech and want to integrate it with the web, uh, WordPress is your first stop. So the way I pr uh, position that is basically saying it is self-integrating because so many of the technology providers take those actions on their own to create those integrations. And it sounds like very similar uh, path for you relative to what your customers were asking for. So that's really interesting. Uh, it was really cool to hear that. You mentioned a little bit about what Biblio does, but I'm curious if you could give us like the elevator pitch, like uh, what is Biblio's purpose mission uh, today? Um, very good. So, so you can say at heart, I think it's obviously moved on a lot from, from there. Um, I think the view I have on it now really is that most most things that have sort of happened in the tech space around publishing in the last seven, 10 years have really not been to the benefit of, of publishers. Um, so what we actually set out to sort of do in the end was to build what we maybe a bit cheesily sort of call it a utility technology for, for publishing. So when, when the user lands on the page, you typically have a bunch of different content, be that articles or different types of content or more and more you could say people have sort of mix of article content and revenue generating content be that affiliate content or sponsored content or reports or whatever it is and how could you how could we sort of build a piece of technology that really easily lets you just build widgets for the page that can sort of send the user uh, maybe with two or three different widgets on the page to all the different meaningful experiences that you have and how can we do that in a way where 
you know, I don't want to mention mention any names and call anyone out, but also how can we do that in a way where it isn't necessarily full of crappy ads and um, sort of actually it's technology that's built for the publisher and the user, uh, not essentially just a, a sort of fancy replacement for traditional display advertising. Um, so, so Biblio really at heart tries to be a, a software as a service solution for uh, for publishing uh, to do content recommendation and personalization without having to do all the heavy lifting in terms of data science and data pipeline and data engineering. You can essentially plug, plug a little widget on the page and off you go, you have recommendations. I like it. So essentially it's a platform for enabling content discovery. And I think one of the things I really like about it, I know you and I connected first through some of the kind of related content features. And the part I liked about your approach was that it was offloaded, that the processing power, the indexing wasn't being uh, put on the WordPress install or instance itself to uh, bear that load, but rather through your service um, that uh, that processing power is kind of handled outside of WordPress, which obviously is great for performance of the WordPress site. So I don't want to get too deep into that right now because really what we're going to focus on today is strategy. Um, and before our, our next break, I was hoping you could quickly tell me, uh, like, what is your general philosophy on content funnels? How should people be thinking about this? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. I, I guess actually the... I sort of think I've come full circle. I think the way I think about it today is really that content funnels in many ways are very similar to a classic purchase funnel, right? That people sort of have a have a discovery phase and a, a sort of awareness, if you want to call it that, in the classic sort of AIDA model, but you go through sort of a awareness, interest, desire, and action. And, and actually, how do we support that with content? Um, and, and as I kind of alluded to initially, what we see now in, in a lot of environments is that people get quite a lot of traffic that sort of, almost accidentally come come through the page, right? Through a link from a friend or through a Google search and, and you sort of land on the site that you've never met before. And I think first impressions matter, right? Um, I found I saw a great stat the other day that sort of said, if you can get people to stay for three minutes um, when on their first visit to the site, the, the chance that they'll come back to your site uh, goes up with, with 100%. Um, so I think we sort of have told ourselves a little bit in publishing that delivering a great experience to people sort of is a bit of a luxury. But I think more and more the publishers we work with are, are really beginning to return to that. And more and more we've got people beginning to measure kind of returning visitors as a key KPI instead of just total page views. Because I think you sort of, with strategy, you always, you get what you ask for. So if the strategy is let's grow page views, you tend to get all of these, um, I mean, I'm going to use a really... Um, sort of rude Danish analogy, but in Danish, we call it the peeing in your pants strategy, right? You get these very short-term strategies that, that keeps you warm maybe for a minute, but then it gets really cold because you've actually not built any strategic value. And I think really, if I had to be, be sort of blunt and generalizing, I think the last five, 10 years of, of online publishing has, has really in many ways been a story of short-term thinking, often driven by need, not by desire. But, but I think we are seeing more and more people come out on the other side now and, and really begin to have a little bit of air again to think more strategically about the future. And, and so that's, that's really where I think content funnels come in. It's interesting because it's like you're presenting this notion that there's this intermediate step to convert. Their publisher, of course, monetizes on page views, and so more page views is the conversion. But even if you have a purchase at the end, kind of getting people to buy into your content is a kind of a neat KPI to keep an eye on. And so content discovery is super important. I want to get back to some of the techniques on this, but we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Time to plug into a commercial break. Stay tuned for more Press This in just a moment. 
Celebrating the best in online advertising, the Web Marketing Association presents the 2018 Internet Advertising Competition Awards. Submit your banner ads, email ads, rich media, online newsletters, websites, and social media campaigns now by going to www.iacaward.org. Deadline for entries is January 31st, 2019. All winners will have their entry highlighted on the Internet Advertising Competition website, as well as receive a handsome trophy to display or a personalized certificate of achievement. Be honored among your online advertising peers by submitting your entry into the Web Marketing Association's 2018 Internet Advertising Competition Awards. Go to www.iacaward.org now. There are over 70 million active podcast listeners in the U.S. WebmasterRadio.fm reaches them all with the largest global distribution of any online business-to-business podcast network. We can target and place your message in front of those active listeners immediately. Now, your message can be delivered with less commitment and investment on over 20 hours of weekly original content hosted by the most respected names in digital marketing. Thanks to an exclusive private offer available for a very limited number of companies. But you must act fast. Email brasco at wmr.fm and get your message delivered now. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. Top SEOs send you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. Let's press forward with more Press This, only on webmasterradio.fm. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Press This, the WordPress community podcast on Webmaster Radio. This is your host, David Volopol. I'm interviewing Mads Holman of Biblio about content strategy, uh, getting more repeat visitors and more engagement with your content. Mads, right before the break, you were giving us your thoughts on your general philosophy on content strategy relative to kind of keeping those visitors hooked, buying into your content, almost like a product um, as a way to have kind of like this intermediate uh, KPI to keep track of like what's what's really helping me with my end objective and keeping these customers engaged. Um, and I know Biblio has a lot of features that allow this. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm sure there, there's things you don't do even also that are that are helpful. But I'm curious, like, what are your favorite go-to techniques for uh, driving content discovery, for getting that second click, for getting that second, third, fourth page view? Like, what are people doing that actually works? So, so actually, it's, you can say... Th- it's we're still we're still in a world where for for most people it's really getting the basics right. Um, I think having having a mix of two or three relevant experiences for for that user. So you can say what we see a lot is for for kind of Google and search based traffic related content really works very well. And getting that right, really finding the the best and most related content to what the user entered through. Uh, performs extremely well. For social traffic, you can say some of these other widgets that do more kind of popular content and latest content tend to perform really well. Um, So actually a mix of them 
is is often the best way to go on day one. Um, and then the second thing is really just to have an engine that can begin to make a dynamic decision when that user lands on the page. You sort of the classic kind of Amazon of other people who've looked at this item have also liked these pieces of content suddenly allows us to make a dynamic decision uh, when the user lands on the page instead of sort of traditional, I guess, widgets that often use tags or categories as a way of, of deriving recommendations. And fundamentally, the problem is we then choose to show three, three items. But actually, if you don't look at the data that then comes back, that feedback loop, you simply have no idea if the content you're showing them is actually working or not. So on a fundamental level, it's the idea that we can rearrange and recalibrate those over time and learn from the behavior that we're seeing on the page. So it sounds like you're, you're suggesting people should try a couple of different approaches in terms of where they get their related content from, how it's displayed. But going further, to use intelligence or data to inform those recommendations rather than just relying on categories and tags. Um, is that, yeah, that about right? Yeah, yeah, you can say, I mean, what we see all the time is, let, let's just make a simple example of, you know, you're reading an article about, um, I don't know, going, going into a natural park. Uh, and actually, you have 10 other articles that are all about natural parks and picnics in natural parks, right? Um, we can almost guarantee you that all those 10 items are relevant in a sort of strictly textual sense to the article the user's reading. But you could almost certainly guarantee as well that if you put those 10 recommendations in front of people, they're not all going to perform equally well. Um, be that the headline, the image, how recent the article is, uh, et cetera, et cetera. There's lots of different factors. But simply by looking at which of those recommendations this particular page actually generates the highest response rate and the highest engagement, it is that lowest hanging fruit. It's simply taking those items that you were going to recommend and rearranging them so that you recommend the ones that drive the best performance. Yeah, and I think that makes sense. Um, I've noticed one technique webmasters using recently on news sites where as you read the article and you get to the bottom, they've loaded another article in their inventory. And so you didn't have to click on anything. You're just like, boom, into the next article. And I've uh, noticed visiting these sites uh, that the article that I'm reading next or that's presented next rarely has anything to do with the first article. Uh, yes, or, and, and actually we're involved in quite a few projects at the moment. That's exactly that. It's sort of people have changed to a feed model and now realize that actually when you make that decision for people, you really have to get it right. Um, I think the first exam, we had a, a big uh, sort of soccer website that we're working with and, you know, sort of going from talking about the Premier League in England and then the next article was about African soccer, right? And, and it was sort of like a complete context switch. And so you get that second page view, but then you also get an immediate bounce out of it. Um, so yes, you can say the more advanced strategies that people are using now, there's, there's kind of three things you could say, turning it more into like a feed type experience because it's very effective in driving that second page view. As you say, you don't need to get a click out of the visitor. You just need to get a scroll out of the visitor. So the opportunity cost on the user is lower. Um, that puts a real strain on, as you say, what it is you then recommend to them. Um, yeah, it was funny. As I, as I had those experiences, I never read the second article. And then as I thought about it more, I was like, you know, it would have been really nice to just keep reading because I'm usually in kind of a, you know, in between meetings or sitting at home, not doing much, kind of wasting time and having to click back and forth each new site is, you know, extra work. And so I remember thinking, man, it would have been nice just to be able to read whatever the next article was that was relevant for me. Uh, but it seemed like without that relevance, I never once read the second article. Um, and so it's so interesting to think about that and in, in the decisions people make. So I want to shift gears a little bit here. I think, I think that 
as clear as a bell. Uh, I'm sure we could probably elaborate on that for a whole episode, but I want to kind of cover some other areas here. And one of them is performance. And I talked about one of the things I liked about your approach is that a lot of that, uh, you know, workload is offloaded to your service, which is fantastic. Um, but what are the implications of having these dynamic pages? I mean, I'm, am I able to cache them? And maybe not even just in a biblio context, but like, what is the trade-off people are going to be making by having more dynamic versus static pages? Very, very good question. So, so as you say, I think most of these questions could almost be, be be sort of sessions in themselves. But but to make it very short, you can say we we what we always talk to our to our clients and partners about is sort of the mix between delivering a moment of magic very quickly versus the kind of long-term plan. So the problem generally with re content recommendation projects and algorithm projects is that you've got a huge upfront investment and time before you see any kind of benefit because algorithm development, data pipeline, all of this happens on the back end before the end user sees any kind of difference. So definitely one of the benefits of, of, of Biblio or any service like that is that you can sort of drop a widget on the page and you can instantly improve the, the page uh, performance. Of course, in the longer run, there is some downsides to sort of serving external um, JavaScript onto the page. Now, in the case of Biblio, I can't talk for everybody, but in the case of Biblio, our widgets only consume our own APIs. So essentially, as a publisher, as a site, you can go as far upstream as you want. So you can essentially get to a point where you do all of the display of that on the page itself, you can cache that, you can load it as part of the, the page. So you really can go, I mean, people throw this word native around all the time, but you can actually go 100% native in the sense that uh, there's really no difference between the results there and, and the page in terms of, of what a search engine would see as an example. Um, so it's a little bit more work to achieve that on day one, and often that, that quick win is all about being able to sort of not have to put a bunch of stuff in my backlog and, and work through that, but deliver that moment of magic really quickly, but then also reassure people that over the next kind of 6, 12, 18 months, they can gradually go upstream and, and take more and more control of that themselves and, and make that experience more and more native to the page. So what do you think then, you mentioned SEO a minute uh, for uh, back there. I'm just curious, like from an indexability standpoint, should people think of things like uh, embedded widgets via JavaScript embeds, as uh, more of a kind of user-focused tool rather than say, I'm going to, you know, sculpt my backlink strategy with the related content. I mean, should they think of them separately? Do you think it helps? Um, how, how do you think about the SEO implications of um, deployments like that? Yeah, so, so you can say generally, um, generally Google is moving more and more away from kind of recognizing JavaScript as part of that analysis. Um, so, so you would sort of I, say... I mean, it, you know, Google states that they're very good at parsing that uh, data and indexing it. Um, and so I'm just curious because of like the dynamic nature, if you think like focusing on like content backlinks versus like, oh, my related article section, I'm going to rely on that for my internal links. Like, how, how do you think about that? So so I would say the the sort of from a, from a, a linking internally in the page strategy, uh, we sort of generally recommend... Um, Two things. Um, if there are kind of links that you want to have permanently in place and really are super relevant and part of your kind of content strategy and content funnel, um, include them in the article itself. Uh, because that that definitely gets the highest. And, and of course, you know, we, we try to get information out of Google, but we definitely know that sort of links inside the article 
um, seem to rank better and do better in general. So um, not everything we do has to be for Google, for SEO, huh? So we can we can do stuff for visitors and and still take other techniques that. And I guess that was almost going to be my point. Is I think it is sort of a happy mix. And then you could say, at some point, of course, if you then whether it's Bibli or not, but you take control of that recommendation experience and just sort of get the results in, but actually display them natively on the page as part of your HTML, then then you even avoid the whole sort of JavaScript question mark. Um, we definitely see JavaScript can get picked up, but but we also have a theory that um, that avoiding JavaScript, it's more that some of the big publishers we work with are more and more going away, you can say, from, from JavaScript on the page in general. Um, JavaScript and SEO, that's a whole other episode. Well, um, and, so and also, more, I'm just saying, yeah. I'm also thinking in terms of things like AMP, et cetera, um, which, which to a lot of people now is a growing part of their traffic mix. Um, oh, that's a good point. And so, right, it becomes more difficult. Um, I do have more questions on this, but what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Time to plug into a commercial break. Stay tuned for more Press This in just a moment. Ready to do a podcast for your business? Make that podcast elevate to enterprise level. Let WebmasterRadio.fm expedite and execute your podcast to build your brand and broaden your customer base. WebmasterRadio.fm has worked with the world's biggest tech brands, Google, Yahoo, and Bing, and have worked with fast-growing brands like ShipStation and GoDaddy. Now it's your turn. Contact brasco at wmr.fm and rush your enterprise-level podcast into production at a very reasonable rate. Email brasco at wmr.fm. You are now tuned in to the world's largest online radio podcast network for internet marketers looking to dominate the B2B marketplace. WebmasterRadio.fm WebmasterRadio.fm is home to some of the most respected authorities in all aspects of internet marketing, from SEO to affiliate marketing to social media, e-commerce, mobile marketing, and so much more. Our hosts travel to all stretches of the world and speak to the impact players that are affecting our industry on air, on demand, and available on every mobile device that you can imagine. This is WebmasterRadio.fm. WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. Are you looking for the best in WordPress speed, security, and scalability? WP Engine is a digital experience platform for WordPress, powering digital experiences for large brands around the world. With easy-to-use site management tools and powerful do-it-your-way development features, WP Engine gives you the flexibility to build it your way. Improve your SEO and conversion rates with a faster site on WP Engine. Learn more on WPEngine.com. Let's press forward with more Press This, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Press This, the WordPress community podcast on Webmaster Radio. This is your host, David Vogelpohl. I'm interviewing Mads Holman from Biblio about content strategy and getting your visitors to make the second, third, and fourth click. Really, how can I? How can you derive more value uh, in your content strategy from the visitors you already have? Um, 
Mads, right before the break, you were talking about kind of the role of related content elements, the use of JavaScript and thinking about backlinking um, relative to SEO. Um, but I wanted to kind of go back to a point you made earlier around how people approach things like related content elements on their site. And you, you, you mentioned that, hey, look, this is more than just about categories and tags. You want to use data to inform the, the content that you present to visitors. And obviously, we're kind of getting down into the personalization area. And I'm just curious, um, how far do people take this with content discovery? Is it just like, oh, the average user really prefers this piece of content or that piece of content? Or do you think people are getting down to like the, this is Joe and Joe probably likes this content? Like, how far are people taking this? Well, I mean, if you if you sort of go to the to the to the big tech giants, they've they've obviously taken it very very far. Um, the reality for most websites and most publishers is we don't we don't have access to that level of data about people. Um, and I think we always say personalization is also a bit dangerous because what we tend to do when we don't know enough about people, I, I always say uh, the same person is very often different personas, right? What you do on a Tuesday morning might be on your phone on your way to work can be vastly different to what you do on your laptop on a Saturday afternoon. Um, people have different goals in mind, different things. So, so fundamentally, the one thing people should understand about personalization is that very often the same sort of person doesn't act like the same persona. And without being able to capture that context as well, all you're really doing, as you say, is sort of flattening that perso person down to, to the sort of the average Joe. Um, if that's the case, um, personalization actually tends to not work very well compared to what we call general behavioral sort of algorithms. So really the kind of Amazons, other people who've liked this have also liked this, or these kind of what people call matrix factorization models don't actually rely on personalization. They really just put that person into a tribe based on the content that they're consuming. Um, and then tries to sort of define these called the micro tribes and micro segments based on the actual behavior that we're seeing. Um, that is in many, in many situations where we have what we call shallow data. So where we don't know that much about the person, you can say, let's say we've seen this user twice before and they've read six articles in total. Do we really understand them is sort of the fundamental question. Personalization only really works well when we actually have a, a sort of relatively complete understanding of that person. So not to make a long story out of it, what, a lot of the work that's going on in personalization now is actually what you could sort of call contextualization. Should we show different stuff based on if people are coming from Google or Facebook or LinkedIn? Should we show different experiences if they come from a cell phone versus on a laptop? Uh, is it different on a Tuesday morning than it is on a Saturday afternoon? Uh, Spotify has done some amazing work on kind of uh, changing recommendations based on your location. So if you're in the gym, at home, in the car, people actually want vastly different content recommendations, but they're the same person, right? So. I guess my biggest sort of advice is to say personalization is, is one of those words that get thrown around a lot. For most people, it's really not where they should start. They should start by doing really great sort of general behavioral stuff. I love um, that tip. And I think so many people think of personalization as, you know, this is the matrix and I'm going to know everything about this person and present the perfect information at the perfect time. 
And the reality is that's out of reach for most people. And the contextual base can be, at least in my experience, super powerful when you can identify, and I always talk to this with uh, the landing page designers I work with, is ask yourself, what was the person doing right before they got here? And then connect the story you tell on this page with whatever that was. And sometimes it's time of day, where they're at, uh, the website they're coming from, what they're searching for. All of these things define a story and you need to tell the next chapter in that story. And so I think that's a really good point is, is to think like, hey, look, I don't have to like have an ad tailored to Joe. I just need to have an ad maybe tailored to a behavioral or situational aspect that might speak directly to Joe. That was a really awesome uh, way of thinking about that, which uh, def- definitely aligns with the way I think about it. So that was pretty cool, Mads. Well, Mads, this has been super fun. I think you've delivered some really, really insightful stuff here. Um, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thanks for reminding David. It's a pleasure. And yeah, as you said, we could we could probably talk hours about these subjects, but uh, but hopefully yeah. we gave people a bit of a taster. Um, Absolutely, we could do in yeah. thirty minutes. And we'll uh, we'll have you back on in the future, maybe explore some of those other topics. Well, thank everyone for listening to Press This. Again, this is your host, David Vogelpohl. I support the WordPress community through my role at WP Engine. And I love to bring the best of the community to you here every week on Press This. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.